0: This morning's Old Testament reading comes from the 25th Psalm, verses 1 to 10. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame, but let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love. For they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to, yourself, or to, according to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble His way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His decrees.
1: Our Gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 1, verses 9 to 15. Mark tells in a little more detail than I shared with the boys and, well, the boys today the story of Jesus' time in the wilderness. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Your sight. For You are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Has there ever been a commercial more longed for or more anticipated in the history of Philadelphia? You know the commercial. The song plays in the background. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Then Nick Foles, daughter in his arms, on the field where the Super Bowl is played, is asked by an offstage stage voice, Nick Foles, you and the Philadelphia Eagles have won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? And you can finish the commercial. I'm going to Disney World. What a contrast to Jesus here in Mark 1. He needs a new agent. Just baptized by John. Just having seen a dove descend the Holy Spirit upon him. Just having heard a voice declare from heaven, You are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. What is Jesus going to do next? He's going to the wilderness. Yes, the wilderness, the dangerous place where wild beasts roam, where Satan tests. The same place where the Israelites wandered for 40 years after escaping from the Egyptians. The wilderness an often lonely and dangerous place. And Jesus is not going there by charter jet. The same Spirit that descends upon him at his baptism now drives him into the wilderness, and none too gently. The verb that Mark uses to describe the Spirit driving Jesus into the wilderness is the same verb used to describe Jesus casting out demons. It is the same word that would be used to describe a shepherd driving the sheep. What is going on here? And someone said in our next week's sermon gathering Tuesday night, why, after his baptism, is Jesus driven so suddenly into the wilderness after all those wonderful words have been said at his baptism? baptism, It feels like the water is not even dry on his cloaks. Why not launch His public ministry immediately? The first answer is that not even the Son of God can live life without traveling in the wilderness, battling fierce, hostile forces. In Disney movies and commercials, anything our heart desires may come to us, but we know that in real life, that is not true. Testing. Temptation, struggles are inevitable. Jesus may be God's beloved Son, but He's also Mary's boy. He does not walk through this world with His feet three feet above the ground. His feet get blistered. He bleeds. He escapes nothing. Not even suffering. Not even death. As the writer of the letter to the Hebrews writes, in Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are. In fact, he faces far greater tests or temptations or struggles than any of us will. In Mark's Gospel, Satan knows that Jesus is his greatest adversary, and so he opens up all the stops does all that he can to distract and defeat Jesus. The second answer to the question of what is going on here is that the wilderness for Jesus is a place of testing and preparation and training. Jesus will not begin his public ministry until after he's completed his apprenticeship here in the wilderness While the Greek verb in verse 13 can be translated as tempted, it's probably better translated as tested. Jesus is being tested here as a metal is tested by the refiner's fire. When Jesus begins his public ministry, he will be battle-tested, having prevailed in a battle of strength with Satan and proven his faithfulness and obedience to God just as we do not want to drive a car that has not been tested, just as we don't want to eat out of a restaurant kitchen that has not been examined. So we do not want to listen or follow a Messiah who's not been put through His paces. But before we go any further, there's one thing we need to be very clear about. While Mark 1 says that the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness, there is no claim here that God tempts Jesus. No, it's Satan who tempts or tests Jesus. God permits Jesus to be tested because that serves God's greater purposes. We are never tempted by God, as the book of James declares to us. It's a very important distinction. Jesus proves to be stronger than Satan here in the wilderness, but the battle is not over. Satan will continue to test him throughout his days. In chapter 3, Jesus will cast out demons out of someone. And as he points out to those standing around, no one casts out demons unless he is first bound the strong man, that is, Satan. In chapter 8, Peter will rebuke Jesus when Jesus says that he, the Son of Man, must suffer and die. Jesus will rebuke Peter by saying, get behind me, Satan. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus will pray, remove this cup from me, yet, not what I want, but what You want. And on the cross, Jesus will turn away from the temptation to save Himself so that He can carry out God's mission for Him to save the world. In every struggle with the forces of evil, Jesus will prevail He will meet every test because he's been prepared for those tests by his time here in the wilderness. Okay, but what does that have to do with us? We are certainly not Jesus. And whatever battles we fight, they certainly are not of cosmic significance. We cannot save ourselves, much less anyone else. But we do have this in common with Jesus. We too find ourselves in the wilderness at times. Perhaps as with Jesus, sometimes it's the Spirit who pushes us into that wilderness with some divine purpose. Or perhaps it's our poor choices and failures that lead us into a wilderness. Or often it can be other people's choices that thrust us into a barren stretch of life. The wilderness often comes to us, thrust upon us by the ways of the world and by what life brings. Such as through a loss of a job or a relationship. Such as through the death of a loved one or a dream. Such as the loss of our faith in God as we have known Him. The wilderness for us can sometimes be that time of transition, such as when our nest is emptied or we're forced to move to a new place by school or work or by declining health. Wilderness can be those times in our life when the old has passed away, but the new has not yet already come. And... The wilderness can also come upon us because of news from the world. Many of us this week have once again found ourselves in a desolate spiritual landscape as yet another tragic story of violence and killings withers our souls. Whatever the source of our wilderness, we all, at some time or another come to times and places in our lives when, as someone has written, the beasts are too real. Moments when faith falters. Nights in the darkness when despair gnaws at us. And days in the noontide heat when hopelessness extends its claws to destroy our well-being. Whatever the source of our wilderness, whatever the path that has taken us there, This we need to remember above all else. The wilderness is never a God-forsaken place. The greatest temptation in the wilderness, observes scholar Caroline Lewis, is the temptation while in the wilderness to think that God is not present. The greatest temptation in the wilderness is to think that God is not present. There are two different messages that temptation can hiss in the wilderness, neither of which comes from God and neither of which speaks the truth. The first is that we're not good enough. And because of that, God has given up on us But as Martin Luther counseled 500 years ago when he was in his own time of wilderness, remember your baptism. Remember that God claims you as God claimed Jesus in the waters of baptism. God seals you as God's child. And God declares delight in you. That can be hard to believe, I know. But it's true. And this is also true. God does not take back what God says in the waters of baptism, no matter what we have done or not done. God does not take back His love ever. The other message that we sometimes hear or absorb when we are in the wilderness is that it's all up to us. After all, we want to be independent and self-reliant. We want to be strong. But this could not be further from the truth of this passage. We'll never find our way out of the wilderness by depending only on our own resources or even just our family. No, we need help beyond our capacities. And God is always willing to give it. Notice this. Wild beasts are not the only creatures in that wilderness in Mark 1. Angels are there too. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, Mark tells us, with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Gordon Stewart tells of a young woman sitting in the Atlanta airport. She's returning home from a year of study abroad. All flights have been delayed because of a storm storm. She's anxiously awaiting her final leg of the journey home. But home, as she has known it, no longer exists. Her mother and father have separated. Her father in entered treatment for alcoholism. She has entered a wilderness not of her own choosing. The beasts are tearing her part apart. Her universe has fallen apart. Waiting, she goes to the smoking lounge to catch a smoke. A stranger, her father's age, sits down. He jolts her out of her fog. Do you have the time, he asks her. As strangers are sometimes want to do, they begin to talk. Unaware of her circumstances, he tells her that he is a recovering alcoholic. A former heavy drinker whose drinking was destroying his marriage until his wife became pregnant. The impending birth of his daughter snapped him into treatment and sobriety. I thought I was going to die, he said, but it was the beginning of a resurrection, a whole new life. The young woman begins to feel a burden lifting. The stranger finishes his cigarette and disappears. She never gets his name. The loudspeaker announces her flight's departure. She boards her flight. And as the plane rises through the clouds, she finds herself momentarily sandwiched, as you can sometimes when you're flying, a layer of clouds above, a layer of clouds below. And in the space in between, it is filled with rainbow light. A world whose grandeur and grace exceeds all reasons for despair. She now is strangely calm in the face of what lies ahead. A sense of peace descends. It is though the man was slipped into her wilderness as a gift. She has been with a wild beast. An angel has ministered to her. Sometimes it is we who need the ministering of angels. And sometimes we are the ones sent into the wilderness of another to minister to them, wittingly or not. Sometimes when we're in the wilderness, it's just enough to get out of the wilderness. And sometimes, though, we find ourselves strangely blessed and strengthened because of what we have discovered about God's presence and God's power in that wilderness through our tests and our struggles. Friends, Jesus went into the wilderness as He went to the cross to break the power of all that would separate us from the power and presence of God. In your own times of struggle, temptation, and testing, though you may feel forsaken. No trust even cling to the truth of this passage. God is there in the wilderness with you. God is present with you in the times of struggle and trial. God will bring blessing somehow out of that pain and struggle as God brings resurrection out of death. And know this too, though wild beasts may snare and encircle you, there are angels close at hand, ministering to you. And in the wilderness, as in Mark's gospel, it is the angels who have the last word. Amen wherever we find ourselves, whether on a mountaintop of joy or in a valley of despair, let us stand and proclaim our faith as you'll find it in the affirmation of faith with words from Philippians 2. Christ Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess to the glory of God Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.